I will never forget that. The, I, uh, my first time out at Johnson Street, and uh, I am we're paddling out of uh, out of Telegraph Cove, and um, not too far down the coast, and you could hear the whales coming because you can hear them breathe. You can hear them puff, and uh, so the fellow I was with said paddle faster. So we did. And uh, the whales just, they, they like to come in along the coast because they rub their skin along the rocks. And um, anyway, so we just kept paddling and the whales came in from behind us and just went right through, you know, between our kayaks. It was the most amazing thing. And it was like, oh, 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 you're almost afraid to move. You're afraid to do anything other than just wow and it happens and it's gone so fast you just can't believe it but it, yeah it's one of those things that you always carry that sort of wow in your head you know that mysticalness hey there my fellow sophisticated creatives Welcome to JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. Today, I'm excited to have multi-published Ellery Queen author K.L. Abramson in the dressing room. And a heads up, Ozzy is back in the studio with me today. The spouse is watching Top Gear. I hear the revving of engines, so hopefully he will not hear the hound dog next door. But... <laughs> On to today's podcast. K.L. Abramson has such a cool website. On the homepage, the words that you're greeted with are writing at the dangerous ends of the earth, the various incarnations of Karen L. Abramson. Karen writes mystery, fantasy, and romance. She is also a prolific short story author, and her stories have appeared in numerous anthologies. Karen, welcome. I'm excited, and it seems like Ozzy has no, knows his cue. We're both excited to have you on the podcast. And I'm excited to be here with you and Ozzy. Thank awesome. you very much for the opportunity, and thank you, Ozzy. <laughs> Just one second, Karen. Okay. Karen, I really like your website. It's a place where you want to have tea and sit back and explore. And uh, on your website, you have what's called a starter library. And can you explain to our listeners what the starter library is and why did you decide to offer it? Well, um, I have three, three starter libraries actually on the website, one for fantasy, one for mystery, and one for uh, romance. And what a starter library is, is uh, offering a few books in that genre to readers so that they can try, try my writing out. They can try some of the books. I mean, I, I'm a prolific, as you mentioned, I'm a prolific enough author that uh, I, can, I can afford to, um, to give some, some readers, you know, if they're interested in exploring my writing and might be interested in reading more, then I'm quite happy to give them some things to, to try me out and hopefully 
to um, want to read more because there's more out there. Yeah. So that's what I do. They're free. I didn't. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, they're, they're, they're free. And so far as I, I'd like them to sign up to be uh, on a newsletter list. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I am absolutely horrible at sending newsletters. Uh, it has been, I, I'm just starting up again because I've taken approximately two years off. I had the death of my father and some other things happening at home that uh, sort of have kept me from writing and doing the things that I need to do to nurture my my readers. And uh, so I'm just starting up again. And um, hopefully I will, they will, they will have put up with me and gone along with the, the long hiatus I've had. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. So you sign on on my homepage and uh, um, yeah, you know, get some free books to try it out. Well, you know, you have a, such a long list of books you've written. So even though I haven't, when you have such a long list, you know, I just want the listeners to know that even though I haven't mentioned all your books, you have a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, but I really encourage people to check out your website. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. 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 Now, you worked as a special constable, a correctional officer, a probation officer, and an ESL instructor. Those occupations are great occupations for writing mysteries. Mm -hmm. And you wrote your, now please correct me, your first novel came out in 2011? 2010, I think. It 20, was. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And which novel was that? That was uh, a novel. It was a romance novel called Ashes and Light. And uh, actually, most of the, uh, there were a number of books that were published in 2010 to about 2013. That was when the publishing industry revolutionized with the uh, um, independent publishing uh, movement that arose, um, and a large part is a reaction to traditional publishing and, and some of the things, the issues that were occurring for authors with what was going on in, in traditional publishing at the time. So I, uh, I had a number of books that I had written and had been marketing and uh, thought, well, I'm going to dip my, or actually I didn't dip my toe. I jumped headfirst into, uh, into the independent publishing. And uh, yeah. And so a lot of books came out right around that time period. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the reason why I, I started with that question is because I believe as a writer, I constantly want to grow and work on my craft. And there are a few online um, writing courses through the Writer's Studio at SFU that I'm interested in taking. Um, I figure it's my retirement gift to myself, along with about a half a dozen other gifts I've decided to give myself. <laughs> um, so like I said, <laughs> so I believe an author should always think about their craft and thinking of one of your series have you noticed a change or a maturity in your writing and my kind of b-side to that question is with each book are you demanding more of yourself trying to raise the bar even more I would say yes. Um, I would say 
one of the things that's really happened with my writing over the years is it's become a lot more organic. Um, I, you know, I, I started off with everything had to be really closely plotted before I, I wrote. Um, now I'm really much more depending on the characters as I write, um, which is a wonderful feeling, um, you know, getting into the character's skin and, and following along with them. I, I love Ray Bradbury's um, saying about, you know, pick a character, set them in motion, and then run after them as fast as you can and type like mad following them so that you get the story down um, and somehow be in their skin at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I'm trying to practice now. And uh, every once in a while I capture myself because I, or I catch myself because I, I find my biggest challenge is being too much in my head as opposed to the character's head. Okay. And um, so that's what I'm, re I'm really working on all the time. And uh, my short stories are my practices where I, I practice getting into that by writing in first person yeah. uh, and this type of thing. So that's one of the things I've really been, been working on. And I've also been trying to give myself space to write books that are more books of the heart. Okay. So I just finished one that uh, I'm, currently marketing um we'll see what happens with it i haven't marketed anything into the traditional publishing system for years and yeah. years like maybe decades yeah. <laughs> yeah. now and uh but i i really like the book and um it's getting at some issues that are really front and center for me so i am you know, I'm excited about the book. If it doesn't, if, if traditional publishing isn't interested in it, then it will see the light of day, but I'll do it independently. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will get into your book um, in, in, in a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking about your book and I'm like, it's so many, I am so glad you independently published it because yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I don't want to spoil. Okay. <laughs> so I had Alicia Sevigny. She's an author of Young Adults, just on the podcast. And she writes Young Adult. Yeah. And um, what I mentioned is that I asked her, and she mentioned that she enjoyed writing for that age group because she feels she has a young voice. You have been complimented many times. I've complimented you many times how you write in that teenage voice it is spot on and so do you feel the same way that you write in a younger voice or just have you been around tons of teenagers <laughs> well i i have done a fair amount of work with teenagers i mean at most when i was a, a probation officer for instance most my special focus was was youth probation uh, but that was a long time ago. Um, since then, in my consulting work that I was doing uh, for a while, I was, uh, or for about actually 17 years, um, uh, some, some of the time I was working with groups of teens as well. So, you know, that's been good. I have a couple of nieces who are just exiting the teen years. Um, so that's helped as well. And good editors, good editors are really good at pointing things out like uh teens don't phone each other they text yeah. oh yeah <laughs> so yeah. stuff like that just to you know in terms of and then it, it's all about attitude 
you know, and uh, you just have to remember a snarky team. <laughs> and I know a few. <laughs> so, so, but otherwise, I feel really old, and I, I always feel like I'm taking a chance when I'm writing young, but uh, I do enjoy it, and I, I do enjoy getting into that attitude every yeah. now. Yeah. 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 Well, well, you mentioned about good editor and Pip, who just gave me back my first round of edits. I thought, okay, I thought I was being current, okay. And mm-hmm. I mentioned I make a line in my story about um, getting a, a Groupon, okay. Mm-hmm. And she wrote, she goes, "This is a bit outdated." And I thought, no way. <laughs> right? And then I checked with my daughter and like I said, so Groupons are outdated. She goes, ah, yeah, mom. And I'm just, you know, I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) trying to keep up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the vernacular changes so quickly. And uh, maybe that's why I write small town teams where maybe it doesn't change quite as quickly as it does in the big city. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. As Pip said, out went Groupon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So now I also believe, so I believe the advice that a a writer should write what they know, but I also believe that we need to stretch our wings and step out of our comfort zone. With the novels you have written, have there been times when you've felt like you've stretched a little far and you're kind of on that ledge? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I I mentioned Ashes and Light and... uh, that was a novel I wrote as a reaction to, uh, to um, well, right. At, I wrote it not too long after 9-11. And okay. we remember back uh, in after the two towers fell, I happened to be visiting friends in the U.S. And the vitriol that was going on towards everybody of Muslim faith. Yeah. I mean, they were just, uh, as, a, as, a, as a faith, as a group, they were just evil, according yeah. to everybody. And um, I had a very strong reaction to that. And I wanted to, I, I had this need to write a, a, a book that portrayed other facets and how the Western world um, has contributed to yeah. the creation of, of uh, fundamentalism in Islam. And so <laughs> I decided to write, I mean, Talk about something that will never sell. Yeah, that's that's quite <laughs> a, a romance where the heroine is is not only Muslim, but she becomes a terror ter- or becomes involved in terrorism. Yeah, <laughs> but wow. I love that. But that book, I love that book. I not only had to research and um, you know Af- Afghani women and get to know some Afghani women. I had to um, learn more about the country. And I mean, I was even in touch with Canadian military trying to get more sense of of Afghanistan. Um, I was everywhere on the internet trying to get more about Afghanistan. And then I finally, you know, you talk about you're at the edge, you're sort of, I, I started that book three or four times and just, I wasn't like the boys in the basement weren't ready to write that book. Yeah. And um, so I, I finally started it and it started to feel right. And um, so I, I finished it. Um, I still love the book, uh, but it was, it was an interesting, um, an interesting exercise for me because I've traveled in Northern India 
and and some of the mountains up in that area. Um, I've traveled in far western China into the Turkic area, actually the Uyghur people that are so in the news these days. Okay. Um, and uh, and love the people, absolutely love the people. So I ha- it's heartbreaking to hear what's happening to them. But I sort of took a lot of that knowledge and then moved it west to Afghanistan okay. to start to try and understand the culture a little more because there is more similarity than, or there is similarity. And just in terms of countryside, housing styles, this sort of thing. So, yeah. So it was a really interesting exercise to have to, step outside the bounds of what of my known universe to write about something that was different yeah that's gutsy oh i'm i'm now very curious about this book (laughs) as i said it's a romance so it's got all the romance trope in there but it it has a lot of other stuff too wow well well, good for you good on you i mean that's gutsy right yeah. Okay. Sometimes you just they say you should write about what makes you angry or what you hate and or what you or what you love. And so I was writing about something that was making me angry at the time. The absolutism yeah. of our attitudes here in yeah. the West. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then when do you decide that it's time like you've written you write mystery, fantasy, romance. When did you decide? When do you decide? to jump into another genre. Um, I know I'm itching to write a steampunk novella. Just, God, I want to get to it, right? But I have a bit of a time for issue here with, with um, commitments and that. When do you decide that you're going to, let's say, I'm going to go into a fantasy now? And like, is, or do you feel like these characters are pulling at you? Well, Sometimes, yeah, it's that. Sometimes it's it's a matter of I'm just tired. Like writing mysteries, some of the mysteries can take you to a really dark place at times. Yeah. And so you need to come back into light. And so if that happens, I will quite often write, uh, I've been writing a series of little novellas set here on the Sunshine Coast that are, that are uh, the romances, but they involve a... Um, they usually involve one of the characters is a figure out of myth. So okay. I've had a Selkie and uh, the other one is Sisyphus, who if, I don't know if you remember, but oh. he was the guy out of Greek mythology who had to roll a rock up the hill for eternity. Oh, wow. And every time he got to the top, the ro- rock would roll back down and he'd have to start all over again. Oh, wow. And, uh, so anyway, I, I've been writing these, you know, so they're, they're much lighter. They can still be romantic suspense because pretty much all of my romance do have a fair amount of suspense in them. Yeah. But um, they're still happier, lighter places. The feel isn't quite as dark. So I will do that. Um, or you just get an idea that won't go away. And so you sort of, I, I just think of it as putting it in the queue of things to write. And sometimes sometimes I'm writing something that is dark enough that uh, I just want to walk away from it for a while and go write something light and then I'll come back to it. You know? Yeah. Okay. So, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 So. so yeah. Put your steampunk in queue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a reward, you know, really. Yeah. 
Yeah. Think about it. If you're writing something that's difficult that, and you really are itching to get into the steampunk, well, that's your reward for getting through the, the, the dark stuff or whatever okay. it is, the difficult stuff. Okay. Because now I went to a coffee shop in Shimanus and I was just looking at it, you know, and of course you can see things more because no one can sit inside. So you go in, you get your co- your coffee, your mocha, and you leave. And as, as I was standing there, I was looking around and I thought that clock could be steampunk, like just how the clock looked. And then I saw this black elevator and, and you know, right. And you're just standing there and you're thinking, okay, I could do something, you know, like just the, the wheels. Are, yeah. Okay. I will do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just start taking notes so that it's all there. You can go back and remind yourself of it before you start to write when you go right. to start to write your book. Okay. Okay. So you wrote now, I am probably not going to pronounce this correctly. After Yekaterina? It's after Ekaterina. Yeah. After yeah. I'm sorry. Can you do that one more time? Just, just think of it as not having the Y. Okay. Ekaterina. Okay. After Ekaterina. Okay. Now that is an alternate history Russian mystery. And that yes. I'm so curious about that one. Um, what is alternate history? I, you know, it's one of these things you hear it, you hear the word, but I'm, I, I, when I saw that, I thought, okay, now I can ask someone, what is alternate history? <laughs> alternate history is where you take a turning point in history. And um, it, like the Second World War, the Allies won the Second World War. Well, there is a very famous or well-known book in science fiction circles called Fatherland, where the Germans won. Okay. So you're taking a turning point in history and you're saying, well, what if something else happened? And then you jump forward. And uh, for instance, the the TV show, um, oh, geez, I, I can see it and I can't think of the name of it right now. Um, but it's about the Germans and the Japanese having won and it's in modern day, but America is controlled on the east by the germans on the west by the japanese the man in the high tower that's what okay um so um that's an alternate history although it's occurring in modern day and um, this particular book the jumping off point is a little farther back in history where um catherine the great the great russian tsarina um, she made war on the Ottoman Empire uh, down around the Crimea, and, uh, the Crimean Peninsula, and was absolute. Her and her generals, I, I guess it's her generals, were absolutely ruthless in going in and wiping out entire, you know, uh, Ottoman villages, fortresses, cities, etc. Yeah. And so my jump, jumping off point was uh, because what happened in in real life is that the Ottoman Empire was gradually imploding. It didn't implode until after what the the I mean totally go away until after the Second World War, um, but um, the or was it the yeah the second? But um, in this world, what happened is um, as a result of the the depredations of the Russian uh, Russian Empire, they regrouped, came back, beat a Cath- Catherine's armies, and went on to Moscow and then okay. retook the great 
Ottoman Empire into the East. And so the premise of the book is we have a, a small community of Russian people living in the area that in our world is Kyrgyzstan in, in Central Asia. Um, but they are this little tiny country caught between the Ottoman Empire and the Chinese Empire of the Sun. Okay. And um, they are like the, the, um, the stopper stopping major nuclear war. Um, oh wow! Between these two countries, so you can imagine the. If you think back to the um, the great game in Central Asia, where the Brits, the and the Russians and the Chinese and everybody were in there, you know, doing their their spy thing, and the yeah. Americans were in there too. Um, but um, that's what is going on in this little country, and then there is a murder, and so we have a. a uh, a Russian detective trying to to deal with this situation in this little country, in wow. the midst of a of a government election. And, uh, wow! Yeah. So anyway, so that sounds really cool. So, so then that makes me think. The fact that I remembered his name, a Sunday morning, Quentin Tarantino then did mm -hmm. that, with Margot Robbie. I can't remember his movie. Uh, Brad Pitt and Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio when he he did a movie about Hollywood oh my god oh yeah 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 and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. involving yeah. Man Manson yeah uh what was it uh, once upon a time in Hollywood thank you that yeah. that's then alternate thank you cool okay that is cool that would be really cool to write if yeah. you changing it's a, what if, it's, it, it, it's a what if yeah you know oh, okay i'm yeah. glad i asked that question okay <laughs> so let's get into through dark water it's your phoebe clay mystery shine some a spotlight on it um it's intriguing it's heart stopping it involves poaching and child trafficking and it's on the, like it's on the West Coast. And when I was preparing questions, I had to remind myself a few times, like I was just drawn in with Phoebe and Alice. And I had to remind myself, okay, what are Phoebe and Alice? They were doing this. And I thought, remember, Joe, these are characters. So bravo. They, you know, whew, just, I was drawn in. Um, so our listeners know Phoebe is with her niece, Alice, who's 12. They're camping. And I have to say, real camping, like in a tent. Um, you know, and Alice, who's 12, she says, I want coffee. It's hot because she is cold. And um, you later write through Phoebe that Alice, she's a kid that was born in the Starbucks age, where 12 year olds were sucking peppermint lattes. And throughout that first chapter, I was smiling because I don't like camping. Okay. I just, I am one of these people who, mm -mm, right? My, my scale is it needs to be a cabin, flush toilets, running water, and showers. So, uh, I, I just I was smiling throughout the whole thing. And I haven't been, I am not a Starbucks generation. Okay. Um, now, the dialogue between them, Alice and Phoebe, is 
engaging and so believable. And as much as they're different in ages, I thought of them as each other's support network. And especially when Phoebe discovers the body. Okay. Was that your intention from the beginning or as you were writing, did that unfold? Well, you know, it became clearer as I was writing the book that they were going to be that way. But I think it was also very natural because um, Phoebe had been through a horrible couple of years as a result of the school shooting. And uh, um, she survived. She was a teacher in school uh, that where there was a shooting and three young people were killed. And um, she also survived the aftermath, which quite possibly may have been worse than the the actual horrific horror of the shooting but during that time she lived with Becca her sister and of course that put her in proximity with Alice so the the three of them were together and uh, Alice is an only child uh, which makes her much more mature than I think most kids are at that age and uh, so she and Phoebe really had a chance to bond and Alice also had a chance to really be there for her aunt and know that you know and see what she went through etc so I think there's there's a lot of love there's the kinship bond but they're also friends yeah and it's it was so nice to see the little things that Alice would do you know and uh you know, making dinner or just the little things she did to help Phoebe, right? Yeah. Now, you address cruelty, you know, the cruelty suffered by a killer whale in this book, um, the hunting of killer whales, eagles, animals in general for, um, for, troth- for trophy, for teeth, for status, which just makes my skin crawl. I just, that just, uh, I'm going to say it, it just appalls me that, that practice. Okay. Now, having said that, my husband is one of nine children. um, And his father would go out during hunting season and hunt deer to bring home food, and they would have it. So I'm, you know, I can understand that he would try like, and he would track his, my husband's father, it, you know, it's not um, flying in with a helicopter type sort of thing. Okay. Now I was curious, what made you decide to bring, to have this being one of the underlying issues in through dark water? Well, um, I, I like to think I'm an environmentalist, but yeah. on the other hand, I'm not someone who's going to be out on a picket line at least. Yeah think I am although I suppose if the situation gets serious enough I will yeah so when I get mad it generally comes out of my brain yeah (laughs) that's my funnel um and I the state of the orca population the resident orca population here in BC so orca equals killer whale um it makes me mad because you know we continue to allow as much shipping we haven't uh, you know I mean yes they're trying to reduce the amount of engine noise and this sort of thing but you know strikes by large ships etc is not uncommon um i mean just off the the vancouver off point gray there was a gray whale with a bad injury from being struck by uh, you know propeller injury this sort of thing so um you know 
we humans have such a huge impact on the world. Um, and, uh, you know, the poaching of eagles, etc., for feathers and so on, was happening in Vancouver not too long ago. A few years back, they were finding carcasses in North Vancouver uh, where they were being caught. So, you know, it, it is an issue. Uh, we are so gifted here on the West Coast with our, our wildlife. I mean, I, <laughs> I was out putting netting over my strawberries and my my, my and around my raspberries because the deer were ravaging our gardens this, yeah, yeah, this yeah. the other day but uh, uh, I I feel so fortunate to live in this part of the world but I think it's very easy for us to take it for granted and not protect it um, so I um, that's what got me writing it yeah we see overfishing you know we see poaching of shellfish this sort of thing where we don't expect it. And it's just, um, it's tragic that, that it's happening. I agree. I agree. And I get to the point sometimes where I will, it's like, seriously, if it's an animal, do we have to kill it? So we eat it. Like, I just, I get, I just. But the I, thing is, is that they don't, they, uh, I mean, a lot of times they don't kill them to eat them. I mean, no. they, you know, the, the, the uh, you know the ivory trade etc yeah. i i just uh I, yeah I just, I, and don't even get me going on open net fish farms yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i understand i yeah yeah so being on the west coast i have done a little bit of kayaking not a lot okay and i absolutely enjoyed phoebe and alice and they were kayaking. And I have to say, if anyone wants to know what it is like living on Vancouver Island, experiencing West Coast re recreation, it is reading your book. Okay. And uh, what I particularly like, and I, I have to share this little story, you know, there's, there's a part, like you say, our lifestyle, our West Coast, where Alice and Phoebe, they see some otters. And it, it made me think back to when we lived in Victoria and I would walk across that Johnson Street Bridge. And one day I was walking across and I looked over the rail over the side and there was this otter on its back just swimming away. You know, and I, it was so cute and innocent and so sweet to see, you know. And um, I guess that's what I miss. I need to see more sea life. Okay. Now, Phoebe, she is torn. Um, the the example the internal conflict because of the the shooting as you mentioned that happened in her past when she was a school teacher she's she's trying to stay out of the spotlight of the news media she's discovered eagle carcasses she wants to report it but she doesn't want the attention and that internal conflict that struggle i thought was excellent it's believable and I was wondering, did you draw upon any of your own experiences or how did you come up with that as, as her internal conflict? Well, I haven't, I haven't fortunately had that, that 
that situation. But when I was uh, in government, in corrections, etc., I um, had the opportunity to conduct internal investigations. And I actually ended up teaching at the Justice Institute on conducting internal investigations when a critical incident occurs. So a critical incident in corrections might be a death or, you know, a suicide or uh, an escape or a serious injury or, or this type of thing. Um, so once I gave Phoebe the history of having been a key figure in this school shooting, um, I thought about the aftermath, which would include not only a police investigation. Hold on, Carrot. Can you can hear the cats. Give us one second, okay? All right. Let's start this again. Ozzy right now is um, watching Top Gear with Ed. So let's get back into this. Now, Karen, Phoebe, she's torn because of a horrific incident that happened in her past when she was a school teacher. Um, she's trying to stay out of the spotlight of news media, yet she's discovering eagle carcasses. She wants to report it, but she doesn't want the, the attention. Now, her internal conflict that's her struggle. It is excellent. It is very believable. So I was wondering, and this was my question, have you drawn on any of your own experiences? And I'm wondering how you came up with Phoebe's internal conflict. Um, so once I um, thought of, of um, Phoebe's situation as being one of the principal people in this uh uh, in the school shooting. So she was the, uh, the teacher, uh, the key teacher for this, the shooter and uh, was involved in a number of ways of trying to get help before the shooting occurred. Um, I thought about um, how she um, would be the subject of a number of investigations that would occur after the shooting. There would be the police investigation, but a school board would also um, conduct their own investigation into what occurred and how did they manage the situation, et cetera. And if that sort of thing is not done well, it can quite often lead to potential scapegoating of somebody. And that was, the type of situation that Phoebe had been in. So that's what led to it. And I mean, it all arose out of knowing this um, really arose out of my own background when I had conducted internal investigations um, in government when I was in corrections. Okay. Uh, when there is a critical incident like this, they would conduct one. Um, so, yeah. Okay. 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 So we have to talk about the cruise ship, Phoebe and Alice kayaking, and the pod of orca whales. That scene, and I'm, I'm excited to read your paragraphs here. So the listeners know I've just taken a few of the paragraphs. Um, so there's maybe some dialogue in between that I don't have here, but I just, I, I so appreciate and love the writing. Okay. So, like a ghost coming out of the rain, a huge white cruise ship steamed down the center of Johnstone Strait right at them. 
The groan of the wind became the drumming of huge marine engines as the huge ship grew in size. It towered over them. It was going to be a near thing. The rumble of the diesels seemed to erase the world around them. It filled her blood. Her heart beat in unison, and they had to get out of there, out of here. Huge, white, like a wall about to obliterate them. The ship came on, and then it was on them. Its high white hull above them, so close, she felt like she could reach out and touch the gleaming white paint, when in reality, they were out of the ship's way by a good 200 feet. The whales, Alice cried and pointed. Oh my gosh, when I read that, ah, I, I, I had shivers, catch in my throat. Oh, did that happen? Were you in that experience? Thankfully, no. Oh, but Karen, it has written so well. I'm reading this. I'm like, did this happen to Karen? <laughs> right? No, but you know, it's interesting. I do, I, I do in the summer, I don't own a kayak, but I do as much paddling as I can through yeah. some of the local rental agencies. And I've paddled out in the Broughton Archipelago a couple of times. I, or, what, three or four times. I've done Clackwatt. I've been up to Johnson Strait uh, a couple of times. And um, I am constantly amazed by the idiocy of some boaters yeah. where they will just, I mean, you're sitting really low in the water. You're extremely vulnerable when you're in a kayak. Yeah. And I've had boaters come roaring straight at me and I'm finally with my paddle up in the air hey notice we're here this sort of thing yeah. because some people just I know you know I, I laughed recently there was uh, some um, uh, debate about whether people who rent boats should be required to have some sort of lessons in boat etiquette and boat safety and I for one go yes yeah yeah <laughs> because uh um, I'm constantly amazed at, at how people have no sense of how vulnerable these small craft are, you yeah. know, like kayaks, canoes, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I've been, I've done a little bit of kayaking and yeah, you are, there's no protection with something like that. Yeah. And no. when I was reading that, I kept thinking of BC ferries, like the sound of those engines and, oh, like, yep. yeah, yeah, that scene, I just... I loved it. Excellent. Excellent. That's what um, I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> so then on a positive side of things, Phoebe and Alice are kayaking and a pod of whales swim past. And you write huge huffs of breath spraying her with water. Yeah. Did this happen? Yes. 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 This one did. Um, I will never forget that. The, I, uh, my first time out at Johnson Strait, and uh, I am we're paddling out of uh, out of Telegraph Cove, and um, not too far down the coast. And you could hear the whales coming because you can hear them breathe. You can hear them huff, and uh, so the fellow I was with said paddle faster. So we did. And uh, the whales just, they, they like to come in along the coast because they rub their skin along the rocks. And um, 
anyway, so we just kept paddling and the whales came in from behind us and just went right through, you know, between our kayaks. It was the most amazing thing. And it was like, oh, 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 you're almost afraid to move. You're afraid to do anything other than just, wow. And it happens and it's gone so fast. You just can't believe it. But it, yeah, it's one of those things that you always carry that sort of wow in your head, you know, that mysticalness. Because you mentioned about seeing the fins and one fin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fins, the great big male fins that that bend over at the top. Yeah, they're huge. Well, in your novel, I was so happy when the conservation officer showed up. I was like, yes, (laughs) I was so happy. And um, so I don't want to give too much away. Mm -hmm. You have, like I say, we've mentioned there's poaching. And there's child trafficking. And sometimes I know when you when you write, you're you're working on the one, I don't want to say one storyline, but let's say you're you're right at that moment, you're working on the one storyline. And then when the second storyline crosses, I always think that's the a magic moment. So I was wondering when and how did the two ideas merge? In all honesty, I don't actually remember, okay. but I do. Uh, one of the things I do recall is uh, I'm, I'm writing along, and I really was focused on the environmental stuff yeah. in there. And but when I had written the opening scenes, I had one of those little throwaway lines in there about people in their big Winnebagos yeah. listening to news reports of missing girls on the on the Northern Island, North Island Highway. Yeah. And that was, it was just a throwaway line in there. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm writing along and I'm writing along and all of a sudden it was a story line yeah. or it was part of the story. So it's one of those wonderful, you know, moments where you sort of go, oh my God, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> There's a couple. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So we're going to go to your website. Uh, It, I have to ask, because you, it was so neat, I guess, especially now with our situation in the world to see your travels. And in particular, you went to Cambodia uh, amongst a whole, a lot of other places and you know I illustrate motorcycles, so you can imagine the photos I saw there. I have to ask, when you were in Cambodia, what was the most mouth-dropping scene you had witnessed with regards to the, the people riding motorbikes? Well, there was a lot, because motorcycles are sort of ubiquitous there. And, you know, it's, they, they have maximized motorcycles let's just say Uh, I mean you see entire families on a on a motorcycle but you can see that in Thailand or or wherever but um, two things I saw and I I can't actually remember whether it was Cambodia or uh, or Peru but uh, one of the things I saw in Cambodia I think was an entire store on the back of a motorcycle. I mean, literally it was something you could unfold the doors, et cetera, and have a little, uh, you know, it would have sweets and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, 
um, on the back of a motorcycle. And But my favorite one, and I think it might have been Peru, but it may have been Cambodia. I, I would have to go back and, and think about it some more. was pigs. Pigs on a motorcycle. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> this, this was... I, I've seen it a couple of places, but it just, I, it was like, a, it was in Cambodia. It was in Siem Reap. Um, and there's a, a motorcycle going down the street. And I just sort of say what? Because he had um, a little heart or a little thing on the back so that he's got a pig hung upside down. They're alive, but they're trussed and they're alive hanging on either side of the back wheel and one trussed across the top. So he's got three pigs and he was heading to market. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Wow. Wow. It was, yeah, it was definitely something to see. I, yeah. was, I, I went looking for, for pigs on motorcycles. <laughs> I never did get a picture of pigs on motorcycles like that, but jeez. Uh, oh, <laughs> So I can imagine with the countries you visited, like there's East and West Africa, Burma, China, Northern India, Peru. These, I, I just, they must be great countries for inspiration mm -hmm. with your novels. And out of all the countries you visited, is there any particular one you'd like to go back to? Well, I, I go back to Thailand as often as I can because I, I lived there for a while, so I have friends okay. there. But, um, and I, I, well, recently I traveled to Bhutan and I would really love to go back there. I made some friends and I think that we will remain friends uh, in Bhutan. Uh, and it's such a marvelous country. But if I have to name one place, sort of the country of my heart, um, it'll be Burma or Myanmar. Okay. And, um, and it, it's sad for me because I would dearly love to go back and see. I was there in 97 and um, the country has gone through so much since then um, and growth. I mean, the opening up of Myanmar uh, by the junta, um, you know, has brought in huge amounts of growth. And so I don't know if I'd want to go back and see what has happened, see the changes to the country, um, because it was pretty basic. I mean, you talk about wanting showers and <laughs> toilets and all of this sort of thing. And I can tell you that most of my travels have not always involved showers and flush toilets. <laughs> Each to his own, right? <laughs> have them but uh, it's not always possible when you travel like I travel <laughs> <laughs> so Karen winding things up here what are you reading now and, and what are you working on okay um well um as far as reading I, I just recently finished a, a book by um, I believe it's Femi or Femi Kagore called Lightseeker and it takes place, in, it's a mystery. It takes place in Nigeria and it's really wonderfully done because that's a country and a culture I'm totally unfamiliar with. But it's all about uh, a fellow who is uh, investigating um, the reasons behind or the causes behind the horrific um, murder 
you know, basically by immolation of three young uh, students from a university. Um, so excellent, excellent read. Um, and then I'm currently reading a book called Absolution by Carol Ramsey, which is a, takes place in Glasgow. Wow. And um, it's a police procedural, but uh, it's interesting. Um, very wounded protagonist or one of them. Uh, but it's a multi-point of view book. So you get to see this person who's having real struggles from the perspective of, of a lot of different people. So mm-hmm. it's um, it, it's very well done as well. Um, as for myself, I'm currently writing the third Phoebe Clay novel. Uh, the second one is done. Um, I'm just doing the final sort of copy edits on it. And so it will be out this fall. And uh, it takes place in southern India, um, which was also a place I traveled not too long ago before COVID hit. Um, And uh, she's traveling there with her sister Becca and with Alice again. And uh, their tour guide is murdered. So so it, it was a fun ride as well it was actually written a couple of years ago and then as I said life happened and it just sort of got left and I finally did the uh, I knew it needed some revisions so I finally got the revisions done this year and uh, yeah so well I'm booking in the fall so I would love to book you in the fall like October that would be great yeah yeah yeah. so I I think uh, I'm calling it beneath the Malabar nets so so through dark water beneath the Malabar nets so nice yeah nice and uh, the third one um uh, she is traveling alone in Cambodia oh see I like reading books that I can learn about another culture Mm -hmm. I like that yeah yeah yeah, I do too. I do too. And I guess that's why I like to write them because there's, from my perspective, not enough of them out there to, to learn about things. Yeah. Uh, okay. other countries. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of books set in Europe, but there haven't been as many set in, in other parts of the world. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Karen, is there anything you'd like to add and where can people find you on the socials? I'm getting used to saying that line now. <laughs> I'm going on the socials. Oh my goodness. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really not a social me- media person, but uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, Karen L. Abrahamson and um, on Twitter at, at K. Abrahamson. Um, I don't have an Instagram account, but I'm sort of thinking about it because of my interest in photography and so on. It would be fun to go on there, Good. do more pictures like we the my sisters in crime chapter has been doing a month of, uh, of inspirational quotes. So yeah. those have been some of my photos with the inspirational quotes put on. on really? them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to do something more like that. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. I've enjoyed those. It's, it's nice to stop and read, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm yeah. like, okay. And I will make sure I have your socials and your website. Uh, in the show notes for sure because people you've got to check out karen's website it's so cool so cool and if you enjoy this podcast and want to 
hear more about the different authors and hear more about Karen, it's easy. You just need to go to jcvartstudio.net and it doesn't matter what listening platform you have, you can even listen straight off the website. So Karen, thank you. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you, Joanna. I have really appreciated it. It's been a lot of fun. Good. So Good. I really appreciate it. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.